I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. G'day, Lewis. Hello, Daniel. How are you? Oh, look, I'm well. Look, this is, I'm very excited because we're coming into our summer series, which we're going to talk about in just a second. But this is a quick reminder to let you know that if you're in Melbourne, we're having our one millionth download show at the Malthouse Theatre in Melbourne, February 1st. It's going to be fun. One million downloads. We've got an all-star lineup, Charlie Pickering, DJ Andy McClelland, Kirsty Wiebeck, Sammy Shah, who is replacing Lewis. And we've got a guy <laughs> who has got the most downloads in Australia, Richard Feidler is joining us mm. as well. Uh, I, I thought, you know, you know when they say comparison is the thief of joy, I thought there's only one way to steal the joy from our own celebration, that is have someone who is much more successful than us join us to steal our own joy. Well, then it's not a thief of joy. It's a gift. We're giving it away. <laughs> <laughs> and Lewis, I want to let people know that we've sold, uh, we've only sold about a dozen tickets. So we need to get people down okay. there. If we can sell 1 million tickets for our mm. 1 millionth download show, we can move it from the Malthouse Theatre to the MCG. Two problems with that. First of all, obviously, I'm not going, and that's going to harm ticket sales. Yeah, that's right. The um, your, your sisters make up about 80% of most of our <laughs> Melbourne shows. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But have you considered just um, saying that it's a Taylor Swift show? That is true. Yeah. You know, scarcity is something. We should tell people, oh, there's only 300 tickets. Make sure you get a ticket. There are two tickets. There are, there are more hosts than uh, attendees. Our live shows are, are renowned for that. Lewis, I've decided to boost our ratings over summer. Uh, we're going to have a series of two-on-one conversations. We're going to call them Irrational Conversations. And our first guest is quite the icon. And we'll get to her in just a second. I'm recording my end of Irrational Fear on the land of the Gundangara people, the first jokesters of the land. Let's start the show. This is Irrational Fear. Welcome to Irrational Fears Summer Conversations. It's very exciting. I'm so pumped up with our first guest. They are a comedy legend. They've done every big gig in the comedy game from touring Edinburgh to making television to emceeing the Logies to pioneering a pathway for a whole gender of people. (laughs) 
in comedy. And of course, they have done the biggest gig of the lot, which is hosting Breakfast Radio, which I'm so keen to talk about. And I'm very excited to have them here because they've got a brand new book, which details every anecdote you could possibly squeeze into a comedy career. Please welcome Wendy Harmer to Irrational Conversations. Welcome, Wendy. Well, thank you very much. How nice to be here. Oh, gosh, a million downloads, really. Yeah. yeah that is million. sensational. It is pretty you know, good. It, it only is, took it, us 100 it, it years. <laughs> but it is so interesting, you know, that um, in, in some ways from when I started out comedy I'm, and I remember uh, the first international comedy festival had 56 acts, you know, Wow. And now there are, you know, thousands of people who have taken to the stage in comedy and you think, well, where are they going to end up? How are people are going to hear them? And it's obviously through you, which is a, a fantastic thing. All these avenues weren't available to us back in the day. You just had to roll up to a pub or a stage, wherever it might be, and stand in front of a mic and that was it. So well done you. Congratulations. Well, Wendy, that's that's kind of, it's so fun to have you because you've been a longtime friend of the show. You've done our show a couple of times and your book is not only kind of a history of your time in comedy and your family, but it also, I think it captures a wonderful kind of, movement in comedy. I think I think like the generation of comedians that you kind of came up with, the book really encapsulates so many great stories from that time. Was that intentional? Well, thank you, Dan. Yeah, I really did want to write this book to record those times when I really did feel I was in the midst of cultural change. Uh, women comedians becoming known and becoming loved and becoming, um, you know, the, the the people that were, you know, barnstorming the, you know, TV with these amazing characters, you know, she goes, she goes, she goes, all so excellent. <laughs> and, you know, I said pet, I said love, I said pet, and, you know, a most unattractive man. All those wonderful characters that we remember from those shows and Jean Kitson, of course, on the big gig and oh, Denise Scott. Anyway, I was there uh, when all that happened. I was also there when commercial radio changed and 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 comedians became um, a staple I guess on commercial radio so that was one of the reasons that I really wanted to write this book and say it is hard I guess to imagine the days before the women were known in comedy before they had a say and I was there and I had a front row seat and so that's one of the reasons that I wanted to write it and also I wanted to record uh, those wonderful days for me when I found my tribe because I know for for many people listening to your show they have also found their tribe in comedy and maybe they never expected to that finding your tribe uh, with a bunch of, uh, I, I think I say, sweary, oddball <laughs> comedians, as a kid who'd grown up in the country, like, you know, in remote parts of Victoria, to find that I belonged in that tribe was so amazing for me. And I imagine that, as I say, many people listening would be hoping that they could find their tribe, but a lot of the people listening have also found that they've found their tribe with you. And that's not to be underestimated. 
Oh, thanks, Wendy. That's very nice of you to say. And, you know, thank you for, you know, looking after um, me in my comedy journey and, and and Irrational Fear as well. It's always great to have, you know, uh, I feel like, you know, uh, you're a fairy godmother in many respects. Well, you know, of course, that when, you know, when I was a kid, I always cast myself as the witch. <laughs> so I think mm. I'm pretty, I might be a little bit happier with being Wendy the witch. Wendy the witch. Thank I, you for casting a spell, Wendy the witch. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully Wendy the good little witch, hopefully. Now we are talking to you on a very interesting day in Australian media. Um, mm. This is the day when we're chatting to you that, um, Kate McClymont's story about Alan Jones has come to the forefront. <laughs> and as someone who's had a lot of experience in commercial radio, does this kind of news surprise you that this is this has come out right now? Well, it, it surprises me that it hasn't come out earlier, I guess. A lot of people have done a very good Alan Jones impersonation over the years, and I think yours might be award-winning. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I've been toying with the, with the idea of doing something, but uh, I haven't quite got it's the right words the, yet. So come yeah, on, come on, tone, come on. You know you want to. Oh, good morning, everyone. The allegations are false. Ugh. God. <laughs> Let me just uh, start by telling you the one interaction that I had with Alan Jones, and it was while I was on the Today FM morning crew and we beat him in the ratings, you see, because he'd always been number one. He was, I, for the 11 years that I was at Today FM, the morning crew, we won 84 out of 88 ratings in commercial radio and Alan Jones was always number one of course anyway this particular survey we beat Alan Jones and um I the Sydney Morning Herald came to my house it was such a momentous occasion and I had to own up that we'd only beaten him because he'd been on holidays for most (laughs) of the survey (laughs) anyway so I look I thought I would do the right thing and I wrote Alan a letter you know, saying what a wonderful innings that he'd had and, you know, blah, 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 and beating him in the ratings. was Anyway, he wrote me back this letter saying, oh, I thought your handwriting was beautiful. It was just, and the grammar was superb. You know, the old teacher coming out. Yeah, you're getting marked. Yeah, absolutely getting marked. And so I kept that letter there for years. Um, as, as the years went by and he was uh, so excoriating of uh, Julia Gillard on his program, you know, drop her in a chaff bag and these women are destroying the joint, I contributed a chapter to Jane Caro's destroying the joint, you know, sort of, it was very uncomplimentary about him and his show. And uh, after that, I was a marked woman, really. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, so that was sort of, you know, my one interaction with him. But we can say on the day, I think, Dan and Lewis, we can say on the day you were speaking with a woman who once beat Alan Jones in the ratings. <laughs> What a peg. I'm so glad. Even though he was on holidays. Anyway. <laughs> it counts. It counts. Take it what counts. you can get. But uh, if you're talking about mad producers, now here's an interesting thing. A friend of mine who is a very big deal radio person says that he believes, and I'm sorry if there are radio people listening, you know, <laughs> they're not going to be happy with this, but he says that uh, management in radio is like entry-level showbiz. <laughs> Mm. You know, like, like if you just say, 
you know, you, you, you love music, you love film, you love TV, you love stage musicals or whatever, and you think, how am I going to get into that world? Radio is the place that you enter. And, and he says that, and I think this is actually true, if you think about it, I mean, people who go into film are often trained in film. People who go into stage musicals have that kind of background as well. Or, but for radio, there's really, there's kind of no background, I guess. And so a lot of the people who come through radio and into management haven't studied radio. I mean, look, it might be different now, but it right. wasn't It wasn't like that back when I was doing radio. So I think that what was happening uh, when I was doing radio in the 90s was that, um, you know, most people were kind of muddling through it. And, and this particular person said to me, if you look actually at the makeup of the board of, of you know, various sort of, you know, radio entities, there is there are still people there who have no experience in radio, and and the funny thing is too, as I've been you know uh, through the years, you'll often have a manager who's been catapulted from TV or from newspapers into managing radio. But radio, I would contend, is a very different beast, a very singular beast, mm. and it has its own. Vibe. That's the only word I can mm, yeah. use. But would you agree, Dan? No, totally. I mean, you're talking to someone that's never had a real job in radio. Lewis is the one that needs to agree here. Oh, Lewis, <laughs> tell me what you think, Lewis. Yeah, well, for sure, without doubt. And but I think you're right. I, a lot of people ask me, you know, in the sort of ten years that I was on Triple J, people would often yep. sort of say, you know, young people who were at radio school or just wanted to get into radio would always go, like, "How did you get into radio?" And I'm like. This is going to make you angry, but um, <laughs> I never studied radio. I I did like a couple of weeks of radio school in when I when I was at like uni, and I dropped out because I thought it wasn't for me. And I was on a TV show with a friend, and they just called and asked if we wanted to be on. But that's <laughs> fine. But that's fine for the performer. Not so great for your manager. No, 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 no. And that, yeah. But I mean, look, I guess Triple J and ABC are a little bit different. But when I have talk to people, particularly comedians who've gone to commercial radio. There's one story that um, one of the Chaser team told me when they went to Triple M that they, you know, they'd come from ABC TV and they went over to there and they got called into the, you know, music director's office or the content director's office and they walked in and there was literally a guy with the cowboy boots crossed on the desk, like class, just Triple M as you could imagine. And they had this long chat, boys, great to have you here, boys, you know, the whole deal. At the end, he was like, and just remember, when in doubt, shut up and rock. Oh. <laughs> and and that, the thing is, they I all left tell, that meeting I can going, tell you, Lewis, I can yeah. tell you about the radio manager who had a samurai sword on the wall <laughs> and uh, one of the people I worked with actually tore it down one day and threatened him with it. Whoa. Don't don't just tell us about trying to tell us. Just tell us the story, Wendy. Tell us what happened there. No, no, no. You know, no names, no pack drill. But here's one that you'll love, Lewis. Here's one that you'll adore from my time at um, Today FM. Um, Oh, guys, oh, guys, you know, um, 
you know, you spend a lot of time on the setup and then you got the punchline. The punchline's always funny. So why don't you just get rid of the setup and just do the punchlines? <laughs> That's great. That's great. Oh, That's really Lord. This person is revolutionising comedy. <laughs> it's like the jeopardy of comedy. You do the punchline first, then you have to guess the setup. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this same person, I swear to you, this is true. I came in after the ratings and looked at the figures and went, guys, if you could just make your joke seventeen percent funnier, that was the. I mean. 17%. I don't know how he had come up with this, but 17% funnier. There you go. And it worked. You got number one. Yeah, well, you know. You beat Alan but Jones. I mean, yeah. Some of the stunts, though, some of the stunts that we did in radio. I mean, I had, um, I, I, you know, I had two kids while I was on Breakfast Radio. Really? You had your kids while you are on Today FM? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wow. did. I did. And so I do remember that they wanted to run a sweep on what time I'd go into labour. <laughs> I remember that one. I knocked that on the head. But we did, we did, you love this, Lewis, we had a crack at the Guinness Book of Records, world's biggest baby shower, okay? So we had it at this fancy hotel and, you know, all that kind of thing. And every woman that came along was pregnant Anyway, someone in promotions served up for them to have to, for breakfast a whole lot of sashimi, raw uh, fish, mm-hmm. all that eat that, yep. and cheese, mm-hmm. and there I were like no that. chairs. So, <laughs> so every single pregnant woman there was just shouting at me. And then I shouted at the, you know, the promotions person. We got into a little, anyway, it was a bit ugly there by the end. But I don't understand. You know, when I'm, uh, you know, when I'm hanging out with the mates, we love sashimi and we hate sitting down. That's what I- <laughs> Yeah, that's it. That's it. The things that you're not supposed to eat while you're pregnant, raw fish and cheese pretty much, but that was on the menu. So, look, there are so many hilarious stories. I mean, I don't even know where to. When I'm, in my book, she says, you know how people say, in my book. I'm one of those now. Do um, it. I I just talk about some of the hilarious stunts that we did. One of my favourites was Dash for Cash. Now, as anyone who's listening here and knows radio will know, once you come up with that alliteration, mm. like traffic and weather together, you know, you're done. Yeah, that's, that's, right. that, that's a lot of the job. Like finding a pun for yeah. something is is the job. Yeah. If you get the pun, Absolutely. you've got the segment. Absolutely. Yeah. So this was Dash for Cash. Anyway, so what happened was we pinned a whole lot of banknotes over Frank Vincent, who was our, you know, man on the street at that time. <laughs> the idea was that you, he was sort of, you know, starting for a place in, I can't remember, Chatswood or somewhere, I can't remember. Yeah. And he would get a head start and then you would run after him and whoever grabbed the cash would win. <laughs> but, of course, what happened was, and so we're, me and Paul Holmes and Peter Moon are on the other end going, oh, this would be a great segment. This should be a good, what, you know, two minutes of radio. Anyway, within 10 seconds, a group of highly trained athletes <laughs> overtook him, took all the money and bashed him. Bashed, bashed him? him up. Right. 
No, they no, they really hopped into him, you know. Oh, God. So we we're on the other end going, G'day, yo, Frank. All right, Wendy. And you're home, see, Manny, I'm just about to take off. And we hear, uh. <laughs> And then we go, all right, we might just throw to a track now. Here she is, Shania Twain, you know, that kind of thing. Just so funny, <laughs> hilarious. But I, I don't know whether you guys know, and, and as I admit in the book, I may be the person who is responsible for Married at First Sight. No. Do you know this story? They turned your radio oh, yeah. thing. Was it a radio segment you've pioneered and they turned it into a TV show? It does, yeah, happens quite a bit, you might <laughs> realise. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Anyway. How many times have you been ripped off in your career? How many times have people taken radio segments you've created and turned it into other IPs? Well, I think um, should I go or should I stay? I think Kyle and Jackie O still do that, I think, <laughs> after all these years. I don't, I'm not sure. Anyway, behind me. Do you me, get a slice of that 200 mil? <laughs> <laughs> no, Dale, no, 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 no. But anyway. What have you got behind you? I've got an actual reward on my bookshelf here. I'm just going to go jump up and yeah, grab it. it. And it reads, 1999, Today FN Morning Cruise, Two Strangers and a Wedding, <laughs> Station Promotion Metropolitan. Oh, look, i just like to go back a bit, if I may, sure. because in 1992, when I started on the morning crew with Paul Holmes and Agro, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, Jamie Dunn, who is doing agro. I mean, the, the logic of doing radio with a puppet still eludes me, but anyway. Brad March, you'll know the name. He's pretty stellar in radio um, in radio circles. Yeah, still he, to this day. He hired me he's, because he said he'd been watching Oprah on TV and he said uh, he, he thought, gosh, Oprah's got such a huge following with women on TV, he said, he thought to himself, I bet you there's a whole lot of women who are listening to the radio as well. <laughs> what, a, what a revolutionary concept. <laughs> That's so profound. <laughs> but it is absolutely true. So he hires me to come and be, you know, a front woman. And up until that time, Lewis, I mean, mostly the women on FM radio were like, they were, they were reading the news or doing the weather. They weren't part of the on-air Content. team, mm. no, the on-air team. So that's why he hired me. And so what happened was, of course, Doug Mulray was our great competitor at the time in Sydney. I moved to Sydney to be on the radio. I left Melbourne to, to do the show. Mm. And I brought to the airwaves all the chick stuff, if you like, you know, Mm -hmm. relationships, which is all, they're all staples now. But Brad, at the time, he said, well, um, there's no female, here's, here I go into radio jargon, there's no female skewed radio program. Mm. And so he hires me to do the show. So I bring to the airwaves, I bring friends, I bring Melrose Place, I bring Ali McBeal relationships and all that and 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 it went completely gangbusters and, and we'd sort of beaten Doug Murray in the ratings within about six months wow. and that had always been a sort of a juggernaut it just spoke to sort of female listening power if you mm. like yeah anyway so a few years later down the track and by this time Jamie's gone back to Brisbane and I'm working with Peter Moon 
And I come in um, one one day and I said, I've just read this little thing in a newspaper in America where a mom went to a county fair and she took her son and she said, I'm going to marry him to the first woman I approve of who lines up in front of this stage. And she, it duly happened, you know, all these women lined up and she married him off and they hadn't seen each other. And Anyway, I got thinking about this. And I thought, you know what? We could do that on radio. <laughs> and then we went, oh, no we, no, we couldn't do that. That would be completely unethical. We couldn't do that. And then we went, oh, maybe we could. No, we couldn't. But blah, blah, blah. Now, remember, this is before Facebook and social media. Remember? Okay, right. Yeah, yeah this is so, early days. And remember, this, and we just thought, well, maybe it's a new wrinkle on arranged marriage. <laughs> so we thought, and then Paul Holmes, of course, you know, Lewis Dan, comes up with the line, Two strangers and a wedding mm-hmm. because it was, uh, what was it, four weddings and a funeral was the oh, big movie. Right, right, right. Get it? Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah. we've got a title, so we're away. It's perfect. So what we do is we had, um, we decide we're going to marry off two strangers who've never seen each other before. We had um, 90 men and 300 women apply to be part of this whole thing. <laughs> And what we did was we got um, their mums and their dads and their cousins and their friends and we got psychologists and is this ringing any bells, anyone? And, you know, people, star sign experts and numerologists and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we came up with two finalists and they were married at the Hilton Hotel. Kate Sobrano sang. (laughs) Well, before this we'd we'd heard the... Marriage proposal live on air. Now, no one's seen these two because there's no Facebook, okay? So so we hear the marriage proposal live on air. We're getting all these texts saying, everyone on the Sydney Harbour Bridge is crying. <laughs> <sighs> and then I'm in the car park at work and I can't get out of the car because it's so, so romantic. And, and, and the wedding was... Amazing. Have you have you kept up with them, Wendy? Where are they now? Are they still together? Well, I just want to say this. Here, here's the thing. So I have a scrapbook of about 100 pages on this thing. What happened was that radio stunt, it earned the ire of the Catholic Church, <laughs> um, uh, you know, church leaders, politicians, every, you know. Oh, my and God, it, it wasn't, wasn't around like the, the 60s world, or 70s. It was like this. 1999. Like it wasn't like. It wasn't like the dark ages. It was only- I know, I know. Like- so this goes right around the world. Like, for instance, the couple, they, were, they got 100000 bucks worth of, um, oh of, of, you know, goodies for, after their honeymoon. Mm. And they flew to Paris, you know, trailed by all these reporters from Australian current affairs shows, <laughs> TV shows. Their first stop was Good Morning London uh, on ITV, you uh, know, Good Morning Britain or whatever the hell it was. Yeah, yeah. So, and then what happened subsequently is... You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection... Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. 
Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Is that our show, that sh- that, that stunt, was replicated all around the world from you know, all through Europe, all through America, many of them using the original branding, Estonia even, Hungary, you know, all these. And so there you go. So I'm maybe due for a royalty check or, <laughs> or I should apologise to the broader <laughs> listening public. But as you say, it's not the first time I think that, you know, TV hasn't looked to radio for an idea. Brad Marsh Picciavati said, I need an Oprah. Wendy Harmer is going to be our Oprah. You're on this incredibly huge radio show. I remember articles about, you know, we talk about Kyle and Jackie O's pay packet, but I remember articles about Wendy Harmer's pay packet in the 90s. You know, that was well, talk back fodder. Yeah, absolutely. Feel, I mean, like when, you, when you're doing it, it didn't feel like you were doing something special. It just felt like going to work. Oh, no. I mean, you know, I mean, I was definitely knew I was, I was being paid the big bucks. <laughs> Dan. I mean, I was on, gosh, let me think. And by the looks of your library, it's all gone on dictionaries. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Did you buy anything? Did you do anything like grossly irresponsible with the money? Dolls. My mantra was, whoever dies with the most shoes wins. (laughs) You know, no, I I did. I, I, you know, look, I just spent you know, thousands on designer gear, you know, whatever. But, yeah, it was a million dollars plus. That was in 2003. So, that, I mean, that's 20 years ago. But, I mean, it's it's not, you know, 200 million for 10 years or whatever. But, yeah, it, it, in its time, it was certainly a big whack of dough. There's no doubt about that. And, um, look, I and I, I can be really guilty of saying I was – um, there were times when I was, felt I was pretty special, and I was, and I was pretty much up myself as well, you know. And because every that because things would happen, like I was made an ambassador for Verve Clicquot, and so once a month a crate of Verve would arrive. You know? I thought of once a month a tanker would roll up and fill the house tank with Verve. It was it was really interesting for me, of course, to talk about a steep learning curve, to come from the stand-up comedy stages of Melbourne to commercial FM radio in Sydney. Man, man, oh, man, was that a ride. I've got to tell you, it was a real ride. It's so crazy to think about it now, like it just in terms of that, can't like to think of today FM or you know, and to think of the names like like you, Tony Martin, you know, the fact that there was like Andrew Denton. It's so insane to look at that generation of minds on commercial radio and then look well, at today's course, minds on commercial well, radio. Well, of course, you know, you you you're quite right because there was me and Peter Moon. If you're talking comedy, 
it, there was a there was me and there was Peter Moon on Today FM, and across the road was Andrew Denton and, and Amanda Keller. You know, so you started to have these male-female partnerships, which was a new wrinkle. And then you've got Martin and Malloy on radio and Richard Stubbs, of course. He'd been a bit of a pioneer, I must say, because he was with um, oh, 3XY, you know, for years <laughs> doing, doing um, a comedy, I think, before a lot of us came along. And he really opened my eyes to the idea of comedy on radio being, a, you know, being a, being a an, an option. I guess people talk about the Doug Mulray show, of course, when Andrew Denton worked on that. Dave Gibson did the voices, and it was a huge program in Sydney. My my husband grew up on it, you know, listening in the back seat of the car. It was a massive, massive show. But the difference was here is the watershed. The difference is. There was sketch comedy, you know, on radio. Mm. So Peter was doing, you know, Clive Pompous Ass and he was doing The Guru and Jamie Dunn was doing Hector Pascals, who was a gay guy and (laughs) there were, you know, various characters on the Doug Mulray show. What happened after that was people, you know, by and large, um, in breakfast radio at least, not accounting Martin and Malloy, started to talk about, their lives, their boyfriends, their kids, their, you know, and that became, it became a real confessional. I mean, I remember, you know, we did lots and lots of stuff about relationships, I remember on Today FM. And one of my favourite memories is how could, here's the question, how did you, which now is is a staple, of course, but pretty, you know, groundbreaking back then. What were the first signs? How did you know your partner was having an affair? And this woman rings up. She says, I knew my husband was having an affair because he told me that he was out uh, at the football with Danny. We say, well, Well, I knew it was a lie because I was in bed with Danny at the time. (laughs) (laughs) So... All this stuff happened. I tell you, there was one morning I remember we were doing, you know, we were actually asking people to ring up and say, you know, tell us if you're having an affair. And, of course, because radio, you know, being so anonymous and people, so this gal rings up and goes, oh, well, my boyfriend doesn't know that I'm having an affair at the moment. He recognises her voice, Mm. rings up, we get her back on the air and she is dumped live on air. Whoa. You know? So, I mean, this is now a staple sort of with the Kyle and Jackie O show, but at the time it was uh, pretty out there, i got to say. <laughs> Did you have any moments where you were like, I need to quit? This is, uh, this is, too, this is too much. This is, this is going against my moral character. <laughs> Moral character. I mean, I was earning a million dollars. What the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) No, no. Look, honestly, honestly, Dan, what we did was, and I'm really proud of the fact, if we sort of did something like Two Strangers and a Wedding, we really, really worked hard to make sure that Everyone was, you know, was checked out. They were background checked. You know, there were no exes lurking. There were no stalkers. They were of a certain age. They were, blah, blah. so we, we really, you know, we all, I mean, we insisted on due diligence. You know, 
there were things that I said I wouldn't do, like um, win plastic surgery, for instance. Like that was never going to happen on my watch. Mm. And crappy, there was a, I remember there was a crappy, crappy competition where they wanted to send you, we're going to send a listener into space. And it turned out it was going to be some space, uh, I don't know, what, what do you call it, simulation thing in a, mm. you know, whatever. And so, no, everything. We tried to give away stuff that was of good value. But um, I didn't feel morally that I that I overstepped the mark. I'd like to think. I mean, there's probably, um, you know, a lot of people who out there would think, oh, well, I wasn't well. Maybe they have, maybe, I don't know, maybe they have that. But you it see, is- on, the, on the flip side, don't forget, there was also, you know, um, morning crew to the rescue where we where we would field, you know, every week or every couple of days, we'd fulfil a wish or we'd do all that kind of stuff. So there was a lot of goodwill as well. But, you know, there's some classic, classic radio stunts. One of my favourites was, of course, A Rude Awakening. You'll love this, Lewis, because we had the budget, unlike I you know. guys. I know. Honestly, actually- my mouth is salivating hearing I about know. just the um, ways that you could execute ideas with money. I know. <laughs> so A Rude Awakening, you love this. So our man on the street at the time was Michael Sidney O'Neill. You know, he got the name Sidney O'Neill was brought into the show because he'd taken up the challenge to live in a storefront in Sydney for the two weeks of the Sydney Olympics so people could walk by and see oh, him, you know. Funny. Anyway, so he came on the show. So a rude awakening involved him. People would say, oh, so-and-so, my neighbour or my brother or my sister needs a rude awakening. So he would park under their bedroom window with variously uh, a brass band, um, a speedboats, firework display, the Salvation Army, you know, tambourines, the whole thing. I mean, you know, like so we were able to execute these fantastic stunts and we were able to offer fantastic prizes and of course when you go Lewis to the ABC and you go well here's an old DVD of you know Macca you know and and some coasters or whatever it is it's a real come down you know Uh, sometimes for us when um, we'd be like we'd look at the ratings and we'd go oh we're doing okay we're like second here or whatever and we go let's look at to see look back at what the people who beat us were doing for the last month and we're like (laughs) They were giving away a million dollars. A million dollars. Well, of course you know that, of well, course you know that radio stations insure, they take out insurance against people winning that million dollars. So oh, it never costs really? a million dollars. Yes. Wow. So how does that, that work? How does that, how does that financially work, Wendy? Well, just as I said, I mean, you know, as I understand it, I never went through it, you know, particularly, but you – you say we're going to give away a million dollars and it will be through some convoluted kind of, you know, mechanism. The mechanics were always very important. With So you could announce a radio stunt or a competition, but then the mechanics were the important thing is of how people entered, how it happened, how many, you know, all that stuff. So there were a lot of, um, there were a lot of uh, competitions where, 
maybe you would race onto the beach and you'd have to dig, 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 and then one of these squares you'd been allotted, there was like, you know, half a million dollars buried or whatever. As, as I understand it, as a radio station, you can take that to an insurance broker and you can insure yourself on anyone winning that prize. So eventually, if someone does win, you're only paying a fraction of the <laughs> prize money. That's so crazy. That's an amazing racket. Listen, you two little ingenues, where have you been? <laughs> We're so innocent just in the podcast world. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Does it, do, is there anything looking back, Wendy, because I feel like, you know, you have you were in a more like Wild West time than I ever was on radio, I think, and it, I'm still surprised at the things that listeners would do for the show or do to be on the show. Can you think of a thing that you look back on and you're like, I can't believe somebody did that. Oh, yeah. Us. i got a doozy for you. State of origin tickets. Okay. <laughs> You've got to eat a cockroach. Now, not just any cockroach, Queensland burrowing cockroaches, which are very, you know, they're quite large. They're like 50, you know, 60, 70 centimetres long, three inches long or whatever, and we've been feeding them in the studio on peanut butter. (laughs) So (laughs) You fattened them up. We fattened them up. Fattened them for the slaughter. (laughs) <laughs> Fatten them for the slaughter. And I'll never forget on the morning where a crowd had gathered, you know, they'd all wanted to eat this cockroach because of state of origin tickets. They're all sold out, blah, blah, blah. And um, I heard the crunch on the air and I swear to God, I nearly threw up. It was the most revolting thing. And what happened was I was so appalled with the whole thing, I rescued the two remaining giant cockroaches and <laughs> took them home and I kept them in a terrarium. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're such a humanitarian, an animal lover, Wendy Harmer. But there was another one. There was another one. Did they do that that crunching in studio? Were they in studio? No, no, no. Oh, Oh, fuck no. I would have never had it in the studio. It was out somewhere, you know. But how about this one? State of origin tickets are encased in a block of ice. (laughs) And you're in your cozies, in your togs, your baby, and you have to sit on it and melt the ice and then you get the tickets. That's so good. <laughs> Which, look, it sounds great, but as radio, it's total shit. <laughs> Very slow and boring. No audio. It's baffling to me that State of Origin tickets held this place in, in the audience's mind, that that was something that they needed to go through pain for. Well, you know, I'm going to I'm going to lay claim to something here. Um, you know how I mean? Do you follow State of Origin? Oh, a little I'll bit every it. now and then. I yeah, know well, New South Wales is very bad lately. <laughs> do you know? No, I know there's no reason to obviously. But do you know the bit that um, is that, that that is now underway where the 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 losing team has to fly their state flag over oh, yes, the bridge? Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That happened on our show, and it was oh, wow. an, it was my idea, and because oh. I, I said because we had Peter Beattie and Bob Carr, and I said to uh, I can't remember which one, what are you going to do here for a bet? We need a bet, guys, and and um, and they said oh, I said well I said look I, I'm not going to lay claim to that I came up with the actual words, <laughs> but I may have done. 
what about for flying a flag that a you know story and they agreed to it and they shook hands on our show and that's where that little bet originated so that's that great. was pretty cool amazing wendy thank you so much for coming on irrational fear and telling us all these stories is there something that didn't make it into the book that you're pretty sure you're legally allowed to talk about it <laughs> uh, that you can that you can share with us is there something is there one tidbit you wish on second thoughts, maybe you should have included in this tome of great anecdotes from your time on radio? I think you're looking at volume two here, Dan, <laughs> really. You know, but I want to say, Lewis, Dan, this is my theory. This is my theory, and I could go into this at great length. One of the reasons, and you see it all the time, why radio people are summarily and unfairly and deviously sacked right? You hear this all the time. Um, radio people, they're just about to sign a contract and they get a text saying, don't come in tomorrow morning or they're marched out or they're whatever, whatever. And I really do believe it's because that radio management spend years outside in the airlock going, you can't say that. You can't. Stop it. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to. But we can't hear them because the on-air light is on. <laughs> and so and so when it comes time to change up, you know, the lineup, I think they get I mean it's like it's like eating a uh, it's crunching into a giant Queensland cockroach. They really really love it. They get their kicks out of you know, pulling the rug from under people in strange and arcane ways. Can you remember when you so, – do no. you remember the moment you were fired from radio? Yes, <laughs> I do. What was that like? I do, absolutely. What happened there? I was at lunch and the call came through from my agent saying, darling, <laughs> they're letting you go. You can go home. <laughs> and I said, I'm like, what the – what the – and and this is the best thing, of course. Paul Holmes, I ring Paul. He's on the golf course. And I said, Paul, you know, I've just been sacked. I've been let go. He marches in to the studios at, of Today FM in Bondi Junction, gets the tannoy on the tannoy, you know, the microphone. It goes out the whole thing goes, hello, this is Paul Holmes. If there's any management listening here, I quit too. And then he sort of bangs that down and then goes off and finishes his round of golf. <laughs> wow. So it was really extraordinary the way the whole thing happened. Um, you know, as I say, as I say, I, I've heard so many stories about people um, being dealt with in, in strange and weird and wonderful ways. I have been marched out of, well, Oops. not marched out, but. I've seen people, well, I used to, before I started in at Triple J, I used to work at commercial radio as a writer. I would write jokes for um, yeah. people on air and things. Mm-hmm. And I, I watched that, people Lewis. get Who'd marched out. Uh, I'm, I'm not at liberty to say, uh, <laughs> but. <laughs> Well, you know, Lewis, you're in good company. We had Adam Hills writing jokes for us and Gary Eck and, you know, a whole cast of characters. So it was not a bad way to get a toe in. No, but it was But why it was can't you right. tell us who you wrote for? Uh, I, it's more just for me, uh, for, my, for my pride. <laughs> All right. <laughs> not Agro the puppet. No, no, no. He was long gone. But uh, there was a... There was a um, 
there was a come saw, on, cop up. And I saw I saw producers get marched out, which I thought was really weird. But when yeah, I was yeah. there, I saw there was a presenter who had been at this radio station. It's definitely someone you would know. It was a big name at the time, and he'd yeah. been there forever. And he got fired. Yeah. And we all came back into. He got fired on a Friday, and we all came back into work on Monday. And we were like, "What yeah. is that smell?" And he had vomited into a pot plant on his way out <laughs> and left it there for the weekend. Wow. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I was um, sacked from Vega for being a disruptive influence <laughs> and um, was not allowed to be back on air the next day to say goodbye. Do you know what? The weirdest thing happened with Vega so when I was at uni, I was doing an advertising course and there was this guy in my advertising course and he was um, he was a mature age student and I was like, well, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I'm the, like, I'm doing the uh, marketing for Vega. And I was like, oh, okay. He's like, it's a new radio station. I'm like, oh, all right, cool. Because I had no interest in radio back then. I was like, oh, yeah, whatever. Anyway, he was not very good in the class and we were like, this is weird that this guy is like here doing an advertising, like even the fact that you're doing an advertising class when you're about to do marketing for a big radio station feels weird. Anyway, the, the first campaign for Vega came out and it was billboards all across the state and it, it was absolutely mocked because it didn't have the um, station like number on it. So it just said <laughs> Vega can, and it didn't tell anyone where to Lewis. find it. I can go one better. This may be the same person. What happened was, okay, there were, there were there was Vega in Melbourne and there was Vega in Sydney, right? And they had two different breakfast shows. Like in Melbourne it was um, Sean Denise Scott and Sean McAuliffe. Mm, that's right. In Sydney it was Angelica Turns and Tony Squires. Do you know what they did, Lewis? They put the wrong billboard up in the wrong city. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> See, I was doing morning, so I was, you know, I was, I was across, you know, I was across both states. So they put the Sean McAuliffe up one in, up in, one up in Sydney, and they put the Angelica Turns one up in up, up in Melbourne. So that was that's, that's probably great. your mate. Yeah, it's probably my mate. It makes a lot of sense. Wendy, you left 702 Sydney on your own terms. Did that, yep. feel, did that feel slightly different than leaving Today FM? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was, it, was, um, it was really good. I mean, Robbie and I both decided, you know, we'd hit the wall really. We were doing the world's longest shift. I mean, it, it's, you know, it was ridiculous. Starting at 6 and going to 10, who does a four-hour oh, shift without music and you know, ads. I mean, it was, and then we went through bushfire and flood and COVID and, look, we were just playing worn out. We'd been doing – I did mornings for two years and then I joined Robbie. I joined Robbie on, on breakfast. But, you know, can I say, guys, we garnered a 15.9, which was um, the highest – rating in that time slot since ratings began. So got to be pretty happy with that. It was that's huge. pretty good. It's, it's yeah. Leaving on top. And I think that's where, well, that's all we could hope for, Wendy, to bring you on here so we can get better <laughs> ratings. Uh, so 
We're waiting for the top so that we can leave. Listen, you're bigger than any radio station ever. That is the whole point. When you know, that's a million over uh, 11 years, it takes a long time. Oh, 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 sorry. Okay. All right. Okay. Got that. Well, I've definitely outrated you in that case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone has. <laughs> that is it for this episode of Rational Beat. Big thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. You can become a member at patreon.com forward slash irrational fear. Also, thank you to Jacob Brown on the Teppanyaki timeline. And Lewis, do you want to thank anyone? Do you want to thank uh, a certain company that's helped helped you out? I do, Dan. Um, BHP Billiton. I want to say <laughs> thank you to... No. <laughs> no, thank you to Rode Mikes, who's just sent Lewis a beautiful Rodecaster duo. Thank you, Rode. Yeah, honestly, thank you, sir. Can I? Uh, do you know it's got some effects pads? And I, this is oh, the yeah, first time I'm using it. Oh yeah, you can do your own secret sound. So can I? So we go. Let's yeah. see if this works. Hello there. <laughs> um, have you eaten since lunch, Lewis? <laughs> um, you really should have a sandwich. Um, oh no, oh, it's tw- oh wait, is it working? Yeah, were you <laughs> putting on a vocal? Oh, I see. <laughs> you don't press and hold; you just press it once. Sorry, this is actually, I know I might sound scary, but I have technical difficulties just like a normal person. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so nice to have the Unabomber join us on Irrational Fear. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be so annoying for the listeners and so happy for Lewis. <laughs> also, big thank you to Jacob Brown on the Teppanyaki timeline, and big thank you to um, uh, the terrorist who just joined us for the last five minutes of the program. <laughs> My pleasure, Dad. Oh, now we got an alien robot <laughs> too. Oh. You from the <laughs> oh god, this is going to be tedious. <laughs> <laughs> Road, can you come, please, come and please pick up the Roadcaster duo from? Uh, don't worry, Dan. Do you want me to ask them? I'll just use my megaphone. Okay. Hey, Road. <laughs> Come back and get that thing from Lewis. <laughs> that should they should have heard that, Dan. Okay. I'm glad we uh, I'm glad we had this conversation. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Oh, Bye, yeah. Wendy. Bye, Bye, you two boys. It's so funny. Love you. Thank you. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.